Hey, what's happening, everybody? I've just been working like crazy to try and get this podcast uh, ready to go. Uh, It's a very challenging section of scripture, and uh, it's... It's been a really interesting study for sure because so many times we just try and look at the stories of the Old Testament as as just a a story and and a lot of times with any story that has uncomfortable moments we if you're streaming a show you'll just fast forward through the uncomfortable or you you skip over it or you the next time you watch that movie or show you realize oh wait that really was in there and and we don't usually take the time to to look at these awkward and and uncomfortable things and and realize in that moment uh in scripture that God understands the awkward and and the the human condition is so awkward at times, and uh, with Lot and his daughters, uh, it's it's a very very awkward and uncomfortable conversation. But uh, we're going to look at it today. So uh, let's open with prayer, and and this won't be a very long episode. So uh, hopefully it uh, opens opens us up to just something that may have been hidden here all along. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. And and thank you that you're right there in the awkward and the uncomfortable moments and you understand uh, what we are dealing with. And and God, you, you understand the our human emotions and our our hearts and and God how we we sometimes don't fully appreciate and invite you into our hurts and our struggles and and sometimes that overwhelming grief that we deal with. Lord, we just ask that you would reveal yourself in a powerful way through the scripture in the next few moments. Amen. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, it says, Now Lot went up out of Zoar, and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, that you may go in and lie with him, and we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, and he is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. 
and he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. And when you first look at this account, it's it's like, how in the world did this get into Scripture? How how could this be something that is is not just in in the Christian Bible, but it's it's in the the Jewish text that that they they study and they they revere so deeply and and I I was just absolutely floored when when I saw this and and then I I tried to step off that that pedestal of righteousness and and look at it from from just the humanity of the story and and we have to look at what has just transpired and that is that that uh lot or lot just lost everything and his wife turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back at, at possibly that everything they were losing, their livelihood, their friends, their future son-in-laws, the, the vast wealth they'd acquired. Because the, the account just before this says the only people that were going to escape was Lot and his immediate family. So all of that investment in building his own kingdom so to speak in the world was ripped out and and just burnt to the ground in the the judgment of God on Sodom and Gomorrah and and very few of us will ever experience that level of loss the the kind of loss that you know, even Job, when we go read the account of Job, didn't lose his wife as well. Now, Lot didn't lose his daughters, but he lost his wife. And he lost his wife and all of that fortune that he put together. So I can only imagine the extreme grief that he felt. And, and then I think he kind of woke up because, you know, he he had taken his family into the irrelevant. You know, he goes from being a well-renowned, well-public person to a city that, you know, is a, a place of insignificance. And, and maybe Lot's ego was really, really devastated here as well. Because to to go from being who he was to who he became when he lost everything. And I think it made him paranoid because he was a foreigner. And foreigners were not always treated well. And and if he's one of the only people to survive out of that previous city, then they know if they attack him that there's little to no retribution to be faced. So his his fear that drives him to go live in a cave 
is not completely without merit. And, and he just, like anyone else, he, he doesn't necessarily know how to cope. How do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, we, we see people every day that are dealing with grief and, and they, they don't always know how to deal with it. I mean, the, one of the number one causes pointed back to in, in a lot of left behind suicide letters is, is that there was just a darkness and a sadness that came over them that they could not shake. And, and a lot of times it doesn't just go straight to suicide. It goes through some sort of substance abuse. And, and here we see that, you know, Lot was not opposed to drinking himself to the point where he didn't recognize what was going on around him. And, and to a, a point of, of his daughters being able to, or calling a spade a spade, being able to commit rape in order to uh, commit this incestual act of conception. And, and they, you know, they plotted this out. This was not some spur of the moment thing. They premeditated it. And it's, it's so interesting because um, they were in the same state. They, they were grieved over the loss of their mother, but also over the loss of their future because they had lost their future husbands. And, and I'm not saying in an arranged marriage that they were already in love, but they might have been in love with the idea of being in love and being a bride and getting to bear children, which is the, the motivation behind what they do. They want to carry on the family lineage and they conspire that the only way they can do this is to get their father drunk and to take advantage. And, and a lot of this irrationality is rooted in the trauma that the human brain experiences under extreme stress where things that make absolutely no sense, like the, the statement they make that there's not a man to come into them because they, they have believed the paranoia of their father that they're cut off. And at no point in this does the rational thought of go and, and be with your family, go back to Abraham and, and know that Abraham is family and that he takes care of family. But, but that logical thought never crept in. And they, because trauma had turned their, their thoughts in such a way, they, they carry out this plan and will end up being the start of two of the people that have the opportunity as peoples, not, not just as people, but peoples, to be friends of the Israelites coming out of, act, of captivity in Egypt or to be enemies. And, and Moab means, his name means of his father. 
And Ben-Ami, the other son that becomes the, the patriarchal leader of the Ammonites, he is son of my people. And both of these girls genuinely believe that this act that they committed was to to help carry on the family line. And and the repercussions of it are going to be that that these peoples are going to follow the path that a lot of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah did to an extent. They're going to chase after false gods. They're going to do and treat the Israelites very poorly when they come back into the promised land. These are the people that, and spoiler alert here on into the Old Testament, these are the people that will send Balaam to curse Israel when they come back into the promised land and God will revert that curse or invert it into a blessing. And he will pronounce his own cursing upon Moab and Ammon. And and yet, if you stay with the story long enough that, that God is a God who is looking to redeem people, even from, from where they, their ancestors went really astray, because you'll have to go a long way into the New Testament to find Ruth. And the, the first thing that stood out when I saw that this child's name was Moab and he would be the, the patriarch of the Moabites, the, the first name that came into my heart and my mind was Ruth. And, and Ruth is one of the most beautiful stories of, of redemption. And the fact that, that uh, Boaz will actively pursue and marry Ruth when Ruth is a Moabite who, according to the curse, is never allowed into the congregation of the people. She's never allowed to come in to worship God. But that curse will be renounced off of Ruth because of the statement she makes to Naomi saying that, that I'm, I'm forsaking my identity. I'm forsaking my heritage. And wherever you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. And I, who your God is, will be my God. And I don't need these other gods. I, I want the God that you serve. And and the, the frustrating thing sometimes is that we we study and we see this, this horrible moment in Scripture. And I I hope this is what you take away from this message is that that God can take something that that makes our stomach turn because it, it is so horrible and heartbreaking and repulsive and that God sees into the future where there will be redemption and reconciliation. And and sometimes I think we judge people by their worst moment where where we forever say that in their worst moment is who they are. And and I, I can't imagine the level of grief that Lot and his daughters had. I, I can't imagine how 
how they got turned so inside out from the trauma that they endured and and that God still had a plan in place to welcome them back now the it won't be the entirety of the Moabites, but the reality we face is God had a plan to redeem and to bring all of us, every human being, back into union with him. And we won't all make it because not everyone will accept the truth of the gospel. Not everyone will accept the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. And, and that alone should turn us inside out a little bit with grief. We should be heartbroken for the world that doesn't have the love and the freedom and the truth that we carry. The next little passage of Scripture, I was just going to do the Lot story, but but again, we run into Abraham. And, and Abraham, while we put him on a pedestal, he still makes a lot of mistakes. And... and and if you go through and you read chapter 20, it's the story of Abraham and, and Abimelech. And, and Abraham is journeying south in this story towards the Negev. And uh, it, it, there's a lot of detail to the story, and maybe we'll come back and cover it another time. But the, the long and the short of it is it's the exact repeat of what happened in Egypt when... When Abraham told somebody that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. And the same kind of thing plays out where the Lord reaches out to Abimelech personally. The Lord will will show up and he, he says in a dream to Abimelech, you're a dead man because you've taken another man's wife to be your wife. And, and Abimelech, you know, he, he I'm innocent. I, I didn't do anything. I didn't consummate this marriage. And, and he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent person? And he said, it's not even my fault. This guy told me that she was his sister, not his wife. And, and out of the integrity of my heart, I, I took her to be a wife and I still haven't consummated that marriage. And, and God says, because I know the integrity of your heart, I kept you from sinning against me. And therefore, I didn't let you touch her. Now return the man's wife and he's a prophet. So he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you don't return her, you will die and all who are yours. And Abimelech gets up early the next morning and goes to set everything right. And, and he, he and Abraham kind of talk it out. And, and then Abimelech will take sheep and oxen and, and male servants and female servants and give them to Abraham. And he returns Sarah, his wife to him. And, and he said, behold, my land is before you dwell where it pleases you. and, and behold, I, I've given a thousand pieces of silver is what he tells Sarah. He, I gave a thousand pieces of silver 
to this man who was your brother. And, and I want you to see a, that as a sign of innocence in, in the eyes of all who are with you, that you're vindicated, that you, you were never touched and I'm, I'm paying that back as retribution. And then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and healed his wife and female slaves. So they bore children. The, the part of the story I skipped over is that God cursed the household where they wouldn't bear children. And, and now we, we get Abraham continuing to, to dwell in a land that once belonged to somebody else and they're just letting him graze his flocks. And, and the, the part that we struggle with sometimes is we don't realize that Abraham never established a city. And, and part of that's because he was a nomad and, and he believed that he was constantly going to journey the land that God had put before him. And what we'll get to see in, in chapter 21, when we get to it on Sunday is, is the birth of Isaac and, and God will again bring uh, Abimelech back into the picture, but uh, mostly to uh, to make a covenant. And and what we're going to get to see in in Sunday's message is that God is the God who sees. We we know He's the God who hears the cry of the oppressed, but. God is going to reveal himself in a powerful way as the God who sees. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Uh, a few more random rabbits here on the way out. The, the Negev, uh, when we talk about the Exodus, I, I'm really excited to talk and to teach about the Negev because it's a... It's a powerful uh, forge that God used or a crucible that God uses to refine his people. And, and it, it helps us understand the, the desert seasons of our life and, and our relationship with God as well. So uh, thanks for checking this out. Uh, I'm blown away by the fact that the, this podcast has nine registered followers, but there's 1,100 downloads of of the messages out there and just absolutely blown away by God using this little bitty podcast off a cell phone and just spreading his word all over the world. So thank you again for your time. And we love you. We're praying for you. And go be the friend that Jesus is to you, to everyone in the world. See ya.